Welcome back to the Charlotte Angel Connection, the Charlotte area podcast linking entrepreneurs, investors, and the broader Charlotte community. As you know, our goal here is to interview the individuals who are building, shaping, and influencing entrepreneurship in the Charlotte region so you can stay invested in Charlotte's growth. We just wrapped up a podcast interview with Maggie Williams, CEO and founder of Skipper, formerly known as the Waggle Company. Um, one of the first companies the Charlotte Angel Fund invested in that was located here in Charlotte. Um, really good interview. I think you're going to enjoy hearing her story, um, learning more about the company and what it's doing today and where it's been um, and just her and her husband, Seb, and the rest of their team's ability to execute as they continue to punch forward from here. So very thankful to have been able to sit down with her. I'm clearly busy um, at this point as they get ready to launch a new city here in the next couple uh, next couple weeks or months. So big thanks to Maggie. Hope you enjoy the podcast. I uh, just wanted to take a few minutes, uh, continue to round out, bring you up to speed on things that are going on. Um, got an email that um, Packard Place uh, which is where you know we do a fair number of our uh, podcast interviews. Uh, the Packard Place Public House, um, the next one is scheduled for December 4th, um, starting at 530. It is an open event. Um, it is with Dan and Alex, the two co-founders of 2U Laundry, um, another Charlotte-based company that has expanded outside of this territory. They're actually down in Atlanta as well, and they might be expanding further than that as we speak. Um, The public house event is a great format uh, where you get an opportunity to be live as Dan talks with founders of a couple of different companies. And again, in this case, it's To You Laundry. So come on out if you can. There's an opportunity to sign up on the meetup page, which I'll include in the link to this podcast. Also wanted to remind everybody about the Collective Hustle event that is coming on January 9th. It's called Seed the South. Um, It is an opportunity to showcase 20 or 30 different Charlotte companies, um, some of which will get the opportunity to pitch for uh, in front of an oppressive group of judges um, for, um, for, for grant money. Um, so visit the website details will again be linked from the, the quote unquote show notes. Um, but you can find it off of the collective hustle website, Sam Smith, the, um, the founder CEO of vision who we need to get on the podcast at some point in the future is the architect behind seed the South. And it's really starting to pull together an impressive list of, um, of speakers. The morning session is going to be a little bit more geared towards investors. Um, the afternoon session is going to be a little bit more geared towards the entrepreneurs with their pitch sessions and some other sessions. But realistically, all day long is going to be a great kind of showcase Charlotte type event. Um, really, really impressive uh, undertaking that Sam's pulled together and excited to do it. Soon thereafter, on that same day, January 9th, um, Juan will start Charlotte. will host a um, Founders and Funders Happy Hour. You can grab a drink there and then head on back down the street to Packer Place where Charlotte Angel Fund will have its 
its monthly meeting at, at Packer Place that night. So, again, mark your calendar for January 9th. We'd love to see you out there. Uh, Sam's done a great job. She deserves our support. And realistically, you'll learn a lot from being out there in the first place. So um, those are, are the big events. As always, uh, we hope you tune back in here in two weeks. We will have um, Rob Cummings and Ben Harrison to talk about their recent exit with Deal Cloud um, here in two weeks. So that should be a really good podcast. And um, we'll line up some good things for you um, as well. And in between all these great podcasts, you can certainly stay tuned to what's going on in the startup community by following the Start Charlotte newsletter that Juan does such a fantastic job with that comes out every Tuesday morning. So until next time, thanks so much. So Maggie, thanks so much for joining us and welcome to the show today. Thanks, William. It's great to be here. Yeah. So um, just to get started, kind of warm up our conversation here a little bit, can you take a few minutes and just talk about the decision to start what was once Waggle and now has turned into Skipper? Yeah, sure. So three years ago now, um, we have, we had, we have still have two dogs, uh, my husband and I. And we lived in an apartment, and we both were working for startups and um, found our schedules to be really unpredictable. And so we needed in-home pet services, and we were really underwhelmed by the options that we found. Um, We felt like there just wasn't the kind of convenience or accountability or transparency. Um, Really, we just saw that, that there wasn't an option that really accommodated the modern lifestyle. And then the more we researched and talked to other people... Um, our peers and then just pet owners in general, we realized this was a pretty pervasive problem. And we said, you know what, something needs to be done. There needs to be a better, a better way. There has to be a better way. And said, why don't we, why don't we figure out what that way is? Um, so I'll ask the obvious question that I was going to save for later on then. Um, why you to be the better way or y'all to be the better way, right? I mean, um, how did you say we can tackle this? We can do this. Um, you know, why was it, why was it y'all? Yeah. Um, well, for a couple of reasons, we, I love building things. We, uh, my husband and I had a, had a photography business way back when we did dog walking in New York when we lived there, um, back in 2013. Um, we had a small business and we, we loved, we loved pets. We loved being able to provide a meaningful service that made a difference in people's lives. Um, and that, experience in New York parlayed into what, what, why we ended up starting the Waggle Company, now Skipper here, was because we saw this really cool intersection between pets, which is such an important part of our lives and so many people's lives, and this very real need to have a trusted quality pet care service um, come into your home. And we just it just fascinated me the the challenges around the logistics and scaling you know a very quality focused business was um something that that really got me excited and we just went for it that's cool so we, you were in new york at the time mm-hmm. and then decided to move to charlotte to start the company is that right yeah but so a couple points in between that we lived in new york we got married we traveled for nine months we backpacked around the world um okay. On a shoestring budget, so okay. that has been a theme in our life and helped 
helped make it resourceful for, for starting the WOW company. Um, and then we came back and we decided to move to Charlotte because we wanted to be here. We really liked everything Charlotte had going on. We felt like we could really be a part of this community um, and loved how dynamic it was, how fast growing, the opportunity to just make a meaningful impact. Um, so we came to Charlotte and then both worked for different startups before eventually starting starting this company. Okay. Um... So, just started. You made the decision. You're you're gonna do this thing, but you talked to a bunch of people. Um, things started to go along a little bit. Um, has there there has to have been what was the aha moment that yeah this is this is taking hold and running and um, we're gonna throw everything you were gonna throw everything you had at it in the first place. But yeah. what was the aha moment like? Right? When did you know? Hey, we've got quote unquote traction. Yeah. Oh, a couple of things. So, um, so product market fit, really understanding that. And before I understood that term, I did understand a couple of things. One, um, how do we identify if this is a pervasive need? Are people willing to pay for it? And is there some urgency around it? And pet care is all of those things, right? Yeah. Pervasive, 65% of U.S. households have a pet um, urgency when you need your dog walked, it, it can't your dog can't get walked the next day. There is a very urgent kind of time constraint as a part of that, and then willingness to pay. Um, disposable income is on the rise. What researchers call the pet pampering trend: people spend more money on, than ever on their pets because pets are members of the family. Yeah. Um, and for anyone with pets, twenty years ago, we'll know that that has been a shift. Um, pets are treated differently now than they were. Um, and all of those things kind of created the perfect storm that really opened us up to this, this opportunity to come in and, and provide, like I said, a meaningful service that was going to make people's lives easier, take away their dog guilt. Um, and, you know, and something that we, you know, could really could really help kind of provide social benefit. And the aha moment for us was we started we were, we were very strategic in the sense that I was the original dog walker. Okay. Right. So in terms of jumping in, it was Maggie as yeah. the dog walker. And I, you know, my bandwidth slowly kind of started to to, to to run out. And then, you know, Seb and I remember sitting at dinner being like, I'm going to hire somebody. We didn't have any money. We had our personal savings. And I was like, I, we need to keep building this out. And that's when Seb said, well, he had an operating background. Um, and, uh, you know, it made sense that he came on board to help me run this, which we did. And then for the longest time, I'd say six months, we did it together where we were the two dog walkers who were go we would pack coolers and we would each put a cooler in our car um, and we'd go around from 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. at night with no breaks because we were like packing the schedule to get everything done. And it was just it was it was exciting. We were learning so much. And we also realized like this wasn't going to scale. Yeah. And that's when the aha moment really happened was saying, okay, we've got something. There is a need here. People like what we're, what we're offering. Now, how do we take this to the next level? And the decision we made to invest in technology was that moment where we said, we're going to take this and we're going to, we're going to see how far we can take it. Um, we enlisted Level, which is a locally based software development company. I have a yeah. great relationship with them. They helped build our MVP, our minimum viable product, that we then brought in house. So between you know hiring Level, which we did with our own personal savings, yeah. all of our money went to like building that, and then bringing our tech in house, which we did when we hired our lead software engineer Luke. Okay. Those were like the two defining moments of the company where. You know, we 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 knew we were in this, and we were going to make something happen. 
That's cool. So two things real quick. Um, Matt Luke, he represents your company really well. Um, so he's a good guy. Um, two, so where did you go to, can we backtrack, where did you yeah. go to school? Um, I went to UNC Chapel Hill. Oh, oh. man, this interview's over with. <laughs> I didn't realize that. You're wearing a light blue shirt. Yeah, man. I know. <laughs> Red's just such a loud statement. It's hard to go there, right? Um, so you went to UNC, you're a smart girl, your husband's smart guy. Yeah. Um, you pick up the phone one day and you call mom or dad or whoever and you say, I'm going to start a dog walking business. Yeah. How'd that first phone call go? So we have a track record of, of being adventurous, taking risks, and then doing things our own way and yeah. then working out, right? And I'm a big believer in no regrets. I'm a big believer in in everything you've done helped to get you to where you are. Mm -hmm. And my parents, Seb's parents, also believe that, you know, they have, you know, equally empowered us to be able to to have the tools and the skill set to figure out any situation when we get there. And so they, tr I mean, they trusted us. They, they knew who we are, yeah. you know, and, and we do things, you know, with, with rationale and reasoning and we felt, which we continue to do, that yeah. there is a lot of belief behind what we're doing and, and reason and rational behind it. Um, you know, I think that we've done crazier things. And yeah. so I feel like for them, it was like, okay, well, you know what? We're here to support you. And, you know, we love you no matter what. But in the back of their mind, those six months from now, they'll give us a call and tell us we need some help or something. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. well, um, and, they've, they, and they've always been. They've always been been very supportive of our family and our friends. And, um, and I think that is, you know, that's made us who we are. And yeah. that's why we've been able to take the chances that we've had because we have a support network that's always been there. Yeah, no. So, end of last year, beginning of this year, you raised money, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you were one of the first folks to raise money, local companies to raise money from the Charlotte Angel Fund. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time that you're doing that, or shortly after that, yeah. um, your competitor raises a little bit more money than you. Mm -hmm. What is that? What's that like? I mean, on the one hand, we raise money, we have validation from our local community, we have this huge support network, and this, oh, crap. Um, what were those couple weeks like? Well, it's funny. See, so, oh, crap was not my reaction. In okay. fact, my reaction was, the finally, we validated the market, yeah. right? So one. Two, I would say I chuckled because if there's anything I've learned, it is... Capital does not solve problems. No. Money does not solve problems. The, no, it does the, not. The good execution of money solves problems, but just capital in general. Um, I worked for a startup before starting this company that raised $20 million and went bankrupt in the span of two years. And, you know, players that have raised, you know, significant amount of funding, well, we got into this business because we saw what they were doing and we knew what they were doing was wrong. Um, we, from the very beginning, were focused and are focused on selling trust. Trust, and what comes from that is a quality-driven service, a focus on the client experience, and investing in the right team and doing it the right way. And I've always been a big proponent of the right thing is always the right thing. Yeah. And so, it, you know, it's the golden era of, of, of venture capital. And for... The funding that has been raised in with by players in our space, I think that represents a lot of things. One of the things that I think it, it represents is 
Um, the pursuit of disruption without social benefit. Um, I think I think about $100 billion is going to be invested this year from venture capital in U.S. companies. And what that can do is create an uneven playing field where money-losing operators can continue to operate, right, and undercut their incumbents for far longer than previous. But just because a company can do that doesn't mean that it's got legs to stand on for the long game. And we are here for the long game. We are focused on the trust and we are focused on strong unit economics. What gives what gives me comfort and what what my, you know, and based on the recession that happened, the pet care industry was one of the only industries that grew. And so my our core assumptions are dog owned pet ownership isn't going away. The amount of money spent on pets aren't going to go away. And the need for this kind of trusted service at scale is not going to go away. And what I see are operators who are going about it the wrong way and raising money for money's sake or growing for growing sake on a failed model is a losing strategy. So all that to say is, yes, I, you know, I know it happened, right? Yeah. We follow it, but we are so focused on sticking to our core competency, which is selling trust, building a quality service that can scale, investing in the right team, doing the right thing, that um, that's what's going to win the day. And then, so right after that happens, y'all get accepted into Techstars too, right? So it's like a, yeah. a double, um, you raise money, other companies raise money, you're into Techstars, yeah. so you're kind of back and in, in, um, running full steam ahead. What was Techstars like for you? So Techstars is great. Um, Techstars is an accelerator program. We, um, it's all over the country. We were in the Austin program along with two other companies based in Charlotte, um, Skill Pop and, and Milkful. And there have been other companies also in trial that have, that have gone through it. Um, it was a 12-week program where we were... Did you both go or did you pick one or the other? I'm sorry? Did both you and your husband go or... Oh, yeah. So Sebastian was with there with me. Yeah. Okay. And so he, yeah, he and I did the experience together, which was so great professionally and personally yeah. um, to have him there. And it was great for us to be able to realize um, and and really empower our team to to thrive without us being there physically like that was a huge you know milestone for us as a company yeah so luke stayed here and the rest of your team stayed yep. here so we and... did have luke and nikki they came down to visit um for for a little bit of time but they were mostly based they were based here while we did the program um and again like how do you create and something i focus on a lot is you know the, there's that triangulation between people process and technology and process is kind of the foundation of that. And how do you create sustainable, scalable processes? Well, there's no better way to test that by removing yourself, you know, physically from the room. Yeah. Um, and and to have a company, and now we're in three markets, we manage remote teams. That is, is such, so important for us to be able to, to manage um, and scale sustainable processes. And so going to Techstars was like a great first test of how to do that. So three markets. So you started off here in Charlotte. You go to Austin for Techstars. You launch there because it's just natural to test it while mm -hmm. um, while you're within that environment. It's an obvious, nice place to do it. What's the other location? Yeah. So we just launched in Dallas very okay. recently, um, and that again, it's been it's been great. So we look at markets. Um, we heat map them to to Charlotte, 
And we have kind of like a, a rubric that we go by based on what markets we think would be the most receptive to our services. And that's a combination of things like pet ownership, population density, um, per capita income, um, demographics. There's a lot of things that go into that. Um, and we, you know, kind of are constantly looking at demographic data to understand which cities, you know, we should, where we should go and, and at what time. Um, Austin was highest on the list just because, just based on that rubric and then having the Techstars Foundation made it a no-brainer. Um, and then Dallas is like a Charlotte, just four times bigger. Um, and so because of that, and it's a banking city, a lot of millennials, um, just a, a lot of investment in services that provide convenience. Um, a lot of pets, and and so and we've learned a lot by going to each market, which I could spend hours talking about. But um, but yeah, so we so we launched in Austin, then recently in Dallas, um, and then we we have our sites on Atlanta early next year. Okay, <clears throat> just in case you didn't know, early next year is about thirty two days yeah. away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. So um, so I mean, expansion is going to continue to come, and it's going to come at a rapid pace. Then yeah, so. Was that something that you you planned all along, or was that something that was continued pushed at um, at TechStars? I mean, how is the whole expansion game kind of come into play? We always knew we were going to expand. It was about when are you ready to expand and how do you expand. Those were what we were trying to figure out um, because that can be the end of a company, right? Yeah. Growth to, growth that's too fast that's on the wrong business model. Yeah. Um, I'm personally sensitive to that because when you know I was part of a company that didn't make it um, because. They grew too fast on the wrong model. Was that here in New York? That was here. Okay. That was here. Um, based in um, Bay, but I operated the Charlotte office. And so, so yeah, um, expansion was always on the horizon, but expansion the right way and, and expansion with not at the expense of the client experience or the quality. We were only prepared or ready or willing to expand when we knew that we could not only maintain but enhance the quality of the service that we provided. Um, and that has been part of our core value system. It's part of who we are. It's part of the reason that we, we do a lot of the things that we do that, again, I, and I say it all the time, it goes back to we are a company that sells trust. And what that means at the end of the day is, is that our clients know that they are cared about and that we provide a high quality service at scale. Um, and that's always the focus. So we were never going to go to a new city until we were ready to be able to support um, and, you know, bring to market the quality and the, and the expectations that, that people knew that we have. How difficult is it to sell trust in, the, in your world, right? So um, I don't, you probably, the dog walkers probably don't see the owners that much, um, so how do you establish that trust? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, we do it in a lot of ways. So going into someone's home and taking care of their pet are the two most important things in a lot of people's lives. Yeah, absolutely. It is a huge responsibility, and we take it very seriously. And from day one, we've taken it very seriously. Um, one of the things that makes us very different is our focus on quality, but bringing everything in-house. And how we've done that um, is a couple ways. One, all of our team members, our dog walkers, are W-2 employees. We made the decision very early on not to bring in contractors. We wanted to be able to train, manage, and empower our team members um, so we could really invest in our clients. And how we do that is by hiring 
training, managing all of our team members. They go through a five-step hiring and training process that includes two background checks, three phone interviews, and 10 hours of classroom and field training. We take that, our reputation as a company is about, is comes down to the team members that we put into your home. Um, and we take that process very seriously. We've gotten really good at it. We've gotten really good at how to bring people in. We do the group trainings. We get them out in the field. Um, we've learned a lot. We iterated so that it works on a unit economic basis. But we will never sacrifice that. And that's one of the core differences with a lot of the other players that, that do dog walking, um, whether they're local or national, is that there isn't that emphasis on training. Yeah. Um, and so that's one of the ways that we really sell trust. Our technology, the experience that clients get from our app, where um, we are delivering 100% accountability and transparency. We, um, through our mobile app, clients receive real-time updates. When we arrive, um, team members start a visit. It's geo-mapped, so they start it when they're in the home. Visit starts. At the end of the visit, the client receives, through the app, a visit summary report that has a GPS track map of where the team member walked, it was tracked to their phone, has photos of their pet, and it has a super detailed summary um, that had everything that went on and, and what they did and, and what the, you know, how the pet felt. All of that is managed and um, supported and controlled by our back office team who monitors every single visit. So right now we have a back office team that is visits are coming through and on our in our scheduling um, system, they can see what reports are being submitted and they can provide team member support um, when needed. And so it's it's this whole emphasis on quality control that at the end of the day, all comes back to enhancing and creating a high quality client experience that's consistent. And that's what we're really looking for is the consistency and that high quality. That's great. I mean, so that's phenomenal, right? Um, is it... Um... Is it profitable on a per city basis yet? Yeah. So the way that we've, well, the way that we're looking at it is, we invested in, and part of the initial, you know, fundraising round that we did, yeah. went into investing in our back office team. So our tech, our leadership team, um, our marketing. We are based in Charlotte. We'll continue to be based in Charlotte. Where we um, see strong at unit economics is by being able to leverage resources across markets effectively so that we can capitalize quickly in new markets. Our back office team sits in Charlotte. In Austin, we have a full-time salaried community manager who operates that market. But the operations can be controlled from, from Charlotte. So the okay. scheduling, the routing, the logistics, all comes from our technology, right? Okay. So we're able to bring new cities online without having to reinvest the same amount in our, in our headquarter team. And yeah. that's what makes us able to scale. Um, and it's a combination. It's a combination of the processes of the people and the technology that really drive that unit economics to, to work um, and continue to have that quality. And it's something that we're, you know, we're learning and we're kind of enhancing every single day, especially as we learn how markets are different and how to you know, manage remote teams. But um, ultimately, the story that we're telling is that we we we've done it right we're continuing to do it and now now let's do it faster yeah what's your retain i mean you put in a boatload of time to um to train these people to um to put them on um on the company payroll uh, that's a big investment 
are they do they stick around for a long time? Are y'all are y'all able to keep folks on board for enough to make it worthwhile? We have a really strong hiring team that does um, all of the initial vetting and the and the phone interviews and, and getting people in, and we really know what to look for. And so that's you know right out of the gate is the, the, what we start with, right? Is how do you qualify someone out out of the bat? We um, can get our team members from application to in the field in two weeks. Mm. So that whole process that I mentioned happens, can happen within two weeks. And that comes from learning. It comes from um, just really building an infrastructure that it continues to, to grow and enhance the team that we have. Um, from a team member standpoint, we are very focused on, I want people to, to work for our company to go home for the holidays. And when their grandmother says, what do you do? They are proud to say that they work for Skipper. Yeah. And that is kind of like my, that's my vision on how, how that feeling, how that feeling should happen. And we put a lot of investment in the belonging, um, the digital community, because our team members are out in the field, right? So they're not working with people per se, they're working with animals. Yeah. How do you create a, a sense of belonging that goes beyond just, oh, I do this job and I get a paycheck, which a lot of these other companies, operators do. For us, it's way more personal, right? We want to create that sense of belonging, that sense of community, not just with our clients, but with our team members too. Um, and we do that in a bunch of different ways. And as a result, we see really high retention. Um, we also, we just started offering the opportunity for team members to um, get, learn more kind of in the field experience. They can help us, you know, they would bring them in to help us with client onboarding, with sales, with business development, with all these other aspects of the business. So this isn't just a dog walking role. Yeah. This is the opportunity to be a part of a fast growing company and learn all of the things that go into that. Okay. Um, and so as a result, we see, you know, we see really high retention. It's awesome. Um, so despite the fact that you went down the street to that university in Chapel Hill, <laughs> you actually seem pretty intelligent. Um, what did you, um, you talk very fluidly about the business and the vision and what you do and how you do it. You couldn't have learned it at Chapel Hill. What did you learn at, what's the biggest takeaway from you at Techstars? So I'm going to ignore your patronizing qualifiers, <laughs> even though go heels. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think, so the the kind of, you know, what we learned at college was to open our eyes, open my eyes to the possibilities of what was out there. What did you study in Chapel Hill? Economics and International Studies. Okay, awesome. From there, went to New York. I worked um, for IBM as a business consultant, yeah. and I learned a lot of transferable skill sets that have been able to apply to, you know, my pursuits after, including Skipper. Um, and in, you know, we were, it's trial by fire, and a lot of times you have this inclination and you go for it, and we've, oh, I've always been of the mentality that you, you, you learn you try, you fail, you iterate, you learn. Like it's just a repeated process and you try not to be scared of too many things. Best case, nothing at all, but more realistically, not too many things. You power through that. And you know, at the end of the day, what we look for is, is um, you know, the team that can help do that. And I, I think the focus on pulling the right people in, yeah. I can't even say how important that is. I mean, it took me, it took me a while to figure out how do you find those people? How do you interview them? How do you, you know, bring them in? And when we did, and we have gotten to the point now where, you know, we, we have, we have such a fantastic team that's driving us forward that we can take it to the next level. Um, and then, at, at, you know, 
on TechStars, it was just this whole other world that was open to us from a from a possibility standpoint, but from a mentorship and a guidance and a, and a tool set of how do you understand and look at the business and iterate the business differently. And so all of this has continued to just refine how we go to market um, with, you know, with the, the, the just relentless focus on our core competency, which is selling trust. Did you need Techstars? I, I mean, that's not a yeah. um, that's not a knock on Techstars and what they deliver. Um, but again, I mean, you you and your husband Sebastian, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you seem to have it together. Um, did you need it? Looking back on it, choosing Techstars yeah. and choosing to go through the program was the best decision we ever made. Okay, the value we got out of the mentorship and the network. And being surrounded by people who have been through this times 10. And we felt, you know, to some extent, it it got us out of our own heads. And there is so much to be said for that about being pushed outside of your limits. And, you know, even my ability as a leader um, and running this company, you know, there's so much to be learned and so much to be done. And when you have people around you that can help you help show you that way and show you ways to do it and ways not to do it, and you can all talk about it. That is kind of where the magic happens. Yeah. And Techstars was all of that. And and from Techstars, um, Amos, who is the managing director of the Techstars program, is on our board, right? I'm in touch with the lead mentors that I have. I'm I'm in touch with now. We're doing a business deal together with one of them. Um, and, and so there's just been these lingering effects that I can't even I can't even attempt to quantify um, the, the the benefits that we've gained, even you know even in the short time since we graduated to just being a part of the network for life. So to your question about, you know, do, what do you need? I don't I don't know if you yeah. need it. I think, was it hugely valuable for us? Without a doubt. Yeah. Um, so I'll, um, I'll make you blush for a second. So Seth Twery, a good friend of mine, um, told me several years ago as you were getting Waggle, now Skipper, up off the ground, um, that you and your husband, Sebastian, were willing to make, were the, type of people that you should make a bet on. Um, And you've heard that, or you haven't, I've heard that multiple times throughout Charlotte. What allows that to be the case? Why are y'all investable people? That's a great question. Um, So thank you for that. That's that's amazing to say. Um, I consider who you are as a person and the value system that you have to be something that shows itself in every interaction, in every relationship. And I have always tried to be, I I am who I am. And what that means to me is someone who is, does what they say they're going to do is kind, cares deeply, recognizes that the best leaders make space for others to take their shot. Um, I have been, I've always been a, a, a proponent of collaboration and bringing out the best in people and finding the people and putting them around you who remind you of who you are. And I think that's why, you know, I we have been able to curate such an incredible network and group of people. One, because 
I can see and read that out of people very quickly, like who they are, because I try to be the most authentic version of myself in any scenario. And so people read that and then are in turn authentic back. And I think, uh, you know, it's, I take very few things, if anything, personally, because at the end of the day, there are so many perspectives that come in from one experience that, you know, going back to a core value system of, of, being the person that you want others to be for you, like that being your mantra, I feel like has enabled us to build a really strong, supportive group of people um, that has each other's backs. Yeah, no, it shows. Um, it shows. So, um, and he appears to be right, um, Seth. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> um, what? Um, so you spent some time at IBM, mm-hmm. um, big company. Um, really big company, kind of a shrinking company, but big company nonetheless. Um, what did you take away from your time there? So I think, yeah, IBM, huge company. Anything that you can make small. Um, and with IBM, the experience that people have at IBM are so different depending on the teams and the projects. Did you wear a blue suit too? I wear a blue suit. Didn't they, aren't they the blue suit, blue suit people from the 80s? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I had a couple of blue suits. I like to. Um, they're a little more. They're more lenient now. Um, yeah. So I learned a couple of things. I learned the basics of business, right? The core structure of, of how to operate, what hierarchy should look like, how to, how to be managed, right? I watched how managers managed all of the things that gave me a, an established set of rules and guidelines to learn and then decide how I wanted to take that going forward. Um, and that was really helpful. I was fortunate enough to be a part of a group where I got to be a part of, of really cool and interesting projects. Um, the most memorable, I worked in New York on the pilot pro, pro, the pilot project that was looking at using Watson Analytics um, at the first commercial bank. And so we were doing all of this like machine learning analysis and seeing if Watson could be applied to uh, to banking, right? At the time, it was just really healthcare. Yeah. And, you know, that kind of innovative approach, there's, there was so many things going on there and so many really smart people that I met who were just pushing, just like pushing frontiers. And obviously within a workspace where they had resources, they had the clout, they had the credibility, um, not only that from an internal side, but I was also exposed to all of these other industries from a client side. So we, I worked kind of, I was in a rotational program, so I got to see a lot of different a lot of different windows into into um, how businesses ran and and or didn't and kind of the people within and how you know t- got to do a lot of user interviews and things that for a 22 year old was just really eye opening and those three years I think were just you know I we left because we said we found we said it was time to move on and we wanted to you know build have build something of our own and have you know more personal impact but. Everything that I learned from IBM, I'm grateful for, and um, I'm glad that you know that that my path took me took me there. So, have you known from a young age that you were going to start your own business? I've known from a young age that I wanted to do something that made a meaningful difference and had an impact. And for me, that means right now running and starting you know, starting and running this business. I think it fits my personality to be just just super curious, enthusiastic. Hopefully, I'm not talking too fast. I have I talk really fast. So. No, you're talking fast, but that's okay. <laughs> we'll slow it down. We'll, we'll, we'll live with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, everything about like the exploratory nature of of building something that kind of pushes limits and and 
you know, brings really smart people around you to like carry that mission forward is very exciting for me. Um, before Sebastian and I started dating, we, um, we were a team in college. We actually ran for a senior class president together. Okay. And so we kind of ran this whole campaign and, um, you know, that was like one of the, the, the best times of my life was being able to kind of run the senior class and, and the committees and, and getting people excited about what we were doing um, to just really and to really support like the student experience. Right. That's what it was about. Senior year. We had all these goals. We were you know doing these things. We were giving back. We were you know doing social events and they all had to happen. It was all in or orchestration of a lot of people's efforts, you know, who are not being paid, mind you, which is funny now. It's like you yeah. think about, like, you know, people that aren't being paid to do any of this. They just do it for the love of doing it. And I've always felt that way. Like, do it for the love of doing it. Have fun. You know, bring good people around you and, like, make it count in the moment. And that's really what I've done or what I've tried to do, you know, since since the beginning. So how do you make it fun in the office then, right? Do you all do fun stuff? Oh, yeah, we have. We do a lot of fun stuff. And our team is super fun. Um, we, so we're in, we're in Huga, which, so, which is a, a as you know, it's a yeah. co-working space, um, in Charlotte. And we have really benefited from being a part of that community. We are in two offices that are adjoined. And then, um, we do a lot of like, we do a lot of themed events. So we'll have like cheese day where everybody brings in their own cheese. And then we like share that and we do holiday celebrations and we dress up and, um, it's a very familiar culture. It has to be. I yeah. mean, when you're in the trenches with people and you're, you know, you're working long hours and like a lot of times you're like trying to figure things out and you're making mistakes and you're learning from them. I mean, it's just the, the bonding around that. You just, it, it's, it's part of it. It's part of why, what we're doing. And yeah, which is why having the right people, going back to what I said before, is so important because, you know, they are your family. Um, and, yeah, we have 13 people on our back office team. Um, we have over 50 people who are dog walkers, who we are team members that, again, we invest in their, in the community with them as well. Um, it's all about, for me, it's all about the people. Yeah. So let's talk about two team members specifically for a second. Um, not everybody can work with their spouse. <laughs> yeah. What's that like? I mean, is it is it always hunky dory? Um, you know, you did an interview with um, Angel Rutledge a, a couple weeks ago, Son of Genius, and um, and others. Yeah. And you know, obviously it works. Um, sometimes it doesn't. Mm -hmm. um, but it seems to work really well for y'all. So how does that work for y'all? Yeah. Uh, so the first thing I'd say is not you know not everybody not everybody should work together with their spouse. Yes. Hundred like percent. Um, not meant for everyone. I would say that Sebastian and my, our relationship started, um, as a team, right? So we did the senior class president thing in college and we learned that our skills really complemented each other. Yeah. Um, and that we had, we didn't have the same weaknesses. So that was good too. So yeah. we really were a force together and having that background having that foundation in our relationship made it very easy as a decision to get into business together. We ran a, a photography company together, um, you know, in the middle. And then when we started, you know, I couldn't imagine someone else by my side to really understand and empathize and support and learn from together. We, and, and for him to come in to do that, it, it's a, it was a completely a personal accomplishment of mine to get to work with him. Yeah. It's exhilarating. Um, for him to be in the trenches with me, that was, it's such a formative 
part of our relationship, he went to Austin with me to do Tech Stars. I mean, yeah. how cool was that? We also had Haley and Steve from Skill Pop who were together as well. I mean, it was a blast. We all lived together. Um, we got to we got to ride this wave together, and the, it it's been a really exciting journey. Has it been easy? Absolutely not. And what we've had to learn, I think we've, what we've gotten really good at is um, wearing different hats, but being able to compartmentalize when one hat is off and the other hat is on, right? And that's been tricky because you have to be in, in the mindset to, to give constructive feedback and to work through things that are very specific to a time and place when it comes to the business. Then you go home and your husband and wife and you're cooking dinner together, you know, and there's got to be a different hat. And going back to just you know, being, you know, being kind, the mutual respect, good at communication, and then, you know, ultimately not taking things personally, right, is such a, is such like a, like a fundamental part of doing this well. Um, I'm saying we're always learning, but like, you know, I am, will be always grateful that he's done this with me, because I value it so much, the experience that we've had together, um, running this company, and I think the company's benefited from it. Yeah. I know it seems like it. So I'll circle back around to that in a second. But I said I wanted to ask you about two team, team members. Nikki works with you as well from Venture for America. Yeah. What's it been like having somebody that's been through the Venture for America fellowship be on the team? Tremendous. Um, Nikki has brought a lot of leadership and a lot of experience to the table. She came in and we were like, we need help with marketing. And she's like, all right, I'll do it. And she did everything from our digital marketing to our local marketing and events to redoing our website. Um, she's moving into a product focused role. Um, Nikki catches anything you throw at her. And to have somebody like this it, it, where we are to grow with us is just just such a value add. And um, Nikki was introduced, you know, speaking of kind of the Charlotte entrepreneurial ecosystem, Nikki was introduced to me from um, a friend of mine who runs a company in Charlotte um, that Nikki had worked with. And like, so it all, it was all very, like, it, it's just all very supportive and very collaborative. Um, and I am a huge fan of BFA. Um, I helped do interviews this year. I am a big proponent of what they do. We have another, um, a recent BFA grad. So we hired Josh, um, who is our partnerships manager. So now we have two BFAers. Oh, so you've got a current fellow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, cool. I didn't mm -hmm. know that. Yeah. Um, and then Rob Cummings is obviously, you know, very well connected to you and he's on our board. So we are big proponents of, of, of the BFA program. Okay. Um, so you talked earlier um, about working for a company that raised $20 million that didn't make it. Yeah. Um, you've raised some money. You'll probably raise some more money in the future. Yeah. Um, how do you make sure that you're not the $20 million company that ends up in the ditch? That's a great question. Um, remembering who you are. And we've institutionalized who we are and our core values. One of our core values is ride the scooter in the rain. Um, and the reason that's a core value is because way early on, when Sebastian and I only had one car, we had a scooter, and Sebastian would take the car, this was before Sebastian joined the company, he would take the car to work, I would take the scooter to go do the pet visits, and it would rain, and I was just like, SOL. <laughs> um, I love to say that. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> so we, we have no official sponsor, so we're good. Um, so I would be, I would be going to these visits and I'd be on the scooter and it would be just pouring rain. And I remember thinking back like, oh, what am I doing? Like what, like, this is just this. But like looking back on it now, it's like you do what you got to do. You got to be scrappy. You got to be resourceful and you never can forget that. And, you know, I, 
I go back to like, sometimes money can be your worst enemy because it gets in your head that you're just let you have, that, that you're, you know, infallible. Um, but honestly, being a bootstrap company that has like earned everything that we've done and every step along the way, we validate it and we question it and then we learn from it because we put so much stock into the, into the finite resources that we have. And that's just a part of our DNA. That's how you must have, that's how you, how you, um, that's how you not, not to come to kind of the, the hyper ego inflated world of, um, I can do anything because I have all this money and, and there's nothing stopping me. And, um, I think, you know, we find people that, that believe that mantra too and live it. Um, how do you know it's time to raise money? And, um, so I'll give you a quick, uh, um, quick break. You, you do talk past, you need any water? No, I'm great. You're good. But no, you're. Um, so I mean, how do you know, right? I mean, you raised money in January. I think you, you closed around in January of 2018. Is mm -hmm. that right? Mm -hmm. um, so how do you, I mean, when's it time to raise money again? Yeah. So we have a timeline. So we have a bunch of timelines, and I can tell. We do. And you execute them well. I and can we also tell that. Them. Yeah. We also have what we call rocks, and those rocks are kind of the milestones that we are kind of setting out to achieve. Um, and as we grow, we, we learn about different opportunities and different ways we can provide value to our core client. And currently, um, that's with apartments. And so we're about to make a big announcement with the partnership that we're doing and kind of an avenue we're exploring specifically with apartments. And so for us... Do you want to make that announcement live on our show? I'm just kidding. <laughs> we'll wait on that. Yeah. Um, and for us, we, are, we, try to, we try to be as agile as possible. And being resourceful, having a timeline that kind of projects the resource that we have and when ultimately we're going to need to replenish that resource base. Um, and then making sure that we're meeting projections as, as, we, as we kind of outline them. Um, it becomes less of a guessing game. It, it becomes pretty systematic, you know, for all intents and purposes. Obviously, things come up and things change and we're constantly kind of evolving. But Having a, a, a very relentless focus on the short term and what we're doing without losing sight of where we're trying to get to and constantly calibrating that leaves everything, you know, brings some predictability to an otherwise pretty chaotic, you know, life. Um, and so it is. It's just it's it's comes from managing and organizing your your time, your resources, bringing people in that can kind of guide you and help, you know, you know, bring in their feedback and experience and, um, you know, create a timeline that makes sense for where you're, what you're trying to get and where you're going. Um, so you're an economics major at Chapel Hill and I'll stop that during your school. Um, <laughs> but we're 10 years into a period of, you know, economic recovery. Mm -hmm. Most periods like this don't last that long. I know you talk about it being, recession proof mm -hmm. um, but in the back of your head you gotta think um is now a, you know should we just raise money now so that we're not trying to raise money in the midst of a recession or do you not even really worry about that um i worry about strong union economics i don't ever want to be beholden to any other external group, yeah right and that's the goal um yeah, you know, a recession could happen, and it most likely will. I'm, you know, the core assumptions and, and seeing in the past, the, the prior recession, how, you know, the, the pet care industry flourished gives me confidence that it will continue. Just because people will make sure their pets are happy and healthy, even in times of, of strife. 
Um, and I think that that is a core assumption that is part of kind of like the initial problem solution fit that we identified way early on and that we continue to hold true. And at the end of the day, kind of being able to stand on your own legs with, with a strong, with strong economics at your base is what we're fighting to. We are not trying to be one of the overvalued, hyperinflated, you know, money losing operators that just continue to raise um, because VCs can, you know, reward them with high valuations for, you know, floppy growth metrics. Like that's not the game we're playing. We are playing a longer game, um, and we are, you know, going to be in a position where that we kind of set our own our own future. It's, um, I can tell. Um, so we'll kind of we'll start to wrap up because I um, I know you've got to head on to another meeting because things are busy in startup <laughs> world. Um, we emailed back and forth a little bit before the podcast, and we talked a little bit about qualified small business stock, um, qualified small business company. Mm-hmm. Not many people in Charlotte kind of hit that. Um, how did you end up doing it? What was it like? Was it your own, or was it pointed out to you? Talk a little bit about that experience. Um, yeah, sure. So, qualified small business stock. So, um, it was brought to my attention by Rob Cummings. Okay. Co-founder of Deal Cloud, they are a qualified small business and responsible for an acquisition. So this applied to them. Yeah, no, so he very helpful. Very helpful. Yeah. Um, so it's funny. So uh, small businesses have long been the growth engine for the U.S. economy. Yeah. I think there's 30 million small businesses, and I think they account for like 99% of all U.S. firms. And then of that, I think it's close to 90% that um, employ fewer than than 20 employees. So. For all intents and purposes, small businesses are huge. Um, as a result of that, the Congress has packed the tax code with um, tax breaks that incentivize investment in small businesses. And one of those breaks, one of those little known but probably best breaks, is the qualified small business um, stock. And what that is, is to be um, a qualified small business, you have to be a couple things. You have to be um, a C-Corp, you have to have less than $50 million in assets when stock is issued. Um, you have to, uh, the stock has to be issued from the original source. You can't get it from a secondary market. And then your company has to be an active company. It can't be like um, an investment vehicle or kind of a pastor company. So, man, you know those still really well. That's impressive, yeah. though, and everything you've been through the last 18 months. So, it can get more complicated, I think, depending on like the part of the tax code you're looking at. But suffice it to say, like yeah. those kind of are the, the requirements. And, you know, in most cases, for early stage, early stage, and most early stage investments in C core technology companies meet those requirements. Yeah. Um, and, I, and ultimately what it is, is if you hold the stock for at least five years, then when that stock is sold, you, um, you get the, the gains. Some of the gains, or in some cases, all of the gains can be excluded from federal tax, which is huge. I mean, the implications to that are ginormous. Yeah, that's 20%, right? Yeah, more. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, and it's, there's not something you necessarily have to do. Um, it's based on the qualifications that you have. So you can't yeah. really do anything to be, you either are eligible or you're not. Yeah. Um, you can be aware of what the requirements are, but um, but yeah, so That's it awesome. is very, very smart. Thing to know. Yeah. Yeah. Another smart thing you've done <laughs> yeah. despite your school. <laughs> um, so let's wrap up here. Mm-hmm. What um, You talked about it earlier and, and not many people talk about it in the positive light that you do outside of here. 
um, and I'm not talking about your school again, um, but the Charlotte startup community, right? It gets a bad rap for not being big and not having talent and not being able to raise money. And um, But you talk about it in a, such a positive light. What's that experience been like for you? Oh, I don't think it has a bad rap at all. In my experience, I think it is it is nascent, it is young, but it has cre- it, it has created a culture of itself that is everything you would expect or want out of your closest friends and peers who are doing something alongside of you that you know is equally hard and equally challenging and has all of these like unknowns and you're all doing it together. Um, and if there's anything that I want, it's to be able to preserve the culture and the community that we have. My closest friends that I've made in the last two and a half years since starting this company are part of the Charlotte entrepreneurial ecosystem. And it's because they are such good people who are smart, who are solving hard problems. And it takes, you know, what we do is really hard and it's really lonely. And these people get that. Um, and I give so much, I think there is something to be said, and I mentioned this earlier, you know, that, you know, you know, money can amplify your problems. Well, you know, kind of having this, this ecosystem emerge despite, you know, or in spite of, I would say, you know, a lack of, of overwhelming funding has also created this like thrive or die mentality, right? It's a survival of the fist and people know it and they work really hard and they, and they utilize their resources as efficiently and effectively as possible, and they take nothing for granted. And those are the kind of people, right? If, if I were going to like make a list of attributes, those are the people I want in my life. Yeah. Um, and I, I find the Charlotte entrepreneurial community just inspiring because of how fearless they are. Um, and it's not easy to do well here, um, but it's getting easier and there's more talent coming in and there, there are companies that are and will continue to have more positive, definitive outcomes that will then bring in more capital. Um, you know, I think Charlotte Angel Fund has done a lot to support kind of the, the local community, us included. It's a big testament to, to, um, to what we're building here. And I, you know, have great relationships with our investors. And it's just, to me, um, I think we're, we're taking something really special and we have a lot more to do with it, um, but I know that the foundation, at its core, is is just is just a, a really magical thing. What's the so we'll finish with this. Um, what's your one piece of advice that you'd give future entrepreneurs? Um, that's a great question. I would say it is to do your homework. Figure out if you've got product market fit, whatever way you can. Spend the time. People don't realize how much time in the day there is. You can work a full-time job and still have eight plus hours of of wake time to to do your other side gig. Do that, right? Don't make excuses. Find people that you can trust, that can support you, and then support them back. I'll take the the Techstars mantras give first and I love that so much because people like have adopted it and they they own it right give first always um, because you'll get it back right and that's how the ecosystem grows and continues to be strong Um, and I would say yeah like try things out don't be afraid of failure I always go back seven I say this all the time the worst case scenario is usually not that bad right 
If you can imagine in all in all worlds, if what we would consider failure, don't be afraid of that failure, right? Because sometimes the failures are the biggest lessons and they bring us to a place that we would have never been to otherwise. And I can say that for sure about the things that didn't work out in my life before. It's gotten me here, which is why to me, like failure is just an opportunity. Um, that's what yeah, yeah, well, thanks. Um, thank you for giving your time today. Um, I've enjoyed kind of getting to know you today and a little bit leading up to it. Um, I understand now what Seth and other folks in town have um, have been talking about. So thanks for giving us your time, and we wish you the best of luck and wish you um, or hope you continue to call Charlotte your headquarters. Yeah, always. Well, thanks again. I appreciate it. <laughs> William Bissett is an investment advisor representative with Seacrest Blakey & Associates, a registered investment advisor. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Seacrest Blakey & Associates. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Seacrest Blakey & Associates does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance. Investments described herein may be speculative and may involve a substantial risk of loss. Interests may be offered only to persons who qualify as accredited investors under the Securities Act and a qualified purchaser as defined in Section 2A, Paragraph 51, Line A, under the Company Act or an eligible employee of the management company. There generally is no public market for the interests. Prospective investors should particularly note that many factors affect performance, including changes in market conditions and interest rates, and other economic, political, or financial developments. Past performance is not and should not be construed as indicative of future results.